Please be seated. Today we see an image of Jesus, I want to say, sort of taken by surprise, or, or people are trying to take him by surprise anyway. They come up to him at that very time. There were some present who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate mingled with their sacrifices. How salacious, how disgusting. Uh, what, uh, what were they trying to accomplish by telling Jesus this? Were they hoping to shock him? Were they hoping that he would have some uh, condemnation to give about these poor people who were killed and to sort of bolster the ego of, of those who are telling this grim story? And no, what they get is, do you think because these Galileans suffered in this way that they were worse sinners than all the other Galileans? No, I tell you, but unless you repent you will all perish just as they did. You know how much I enjoy uh, musical theater, especially classic musicals, and there's a song that comes to my mind, uh, Rodgers and Hammerstein's song from The Sound of Music, where the scene is that, it's one of those many soft lens scenes, you know, where Julie Andrews is just a little bit out of focus. And she's looking longingly into the eyes of Captain Von Trapp, and she just can't believe that something so wonderful has happened to her that she is allowed to have uh, love and a person who loves her back. And so her response is this beautiful song, um, Perhaps I had a wicked childhood, perhaps I had a miserable youth, but somewhere in my wicked, miserable past, I must have done something good. It's a beautiful song. It is horrible, horrible theology. And I sometimes call that the bad theology song. Even as pretty as it is, and as a touching as that moment is where they fall in love, she deserves, to, Maria deserves to have love in her life as much as anybody else. But so she's, she's sort of rationalizing why this good thing has happened to her. And it's, it goes back to what Jesus is saying here. Do you think you're uh, you're any better or any worse because this happened to these people? And he uses the example of the Tower of Siloam. It, it apparently collapsed and killed 18 people. It sounds like something uh, right out of the news today. He said, do you think you're any better than, th than these people who suffered from a freak accident? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all perish just as they did. And what does that mean? Uh, he means that in, in repentance, we are turning again. And we are called throughout our lives to turn again and again and again. Um, in my childhood growing up in uh, the evangelical tradition, there was a moment where you, are, you, you give your heart to Jesus and you're saved and that's it and you have repented. Um, but I think of it more as a lifelong journey because as we say in the baptismal covenant, uh, whenever you sin, will you repent and return to the Lord? And the answer is, I will with God's help. So we, we recognize that because of the human condition, throughout our lives, we have this need to repent and return. And so in that uh, frailty, as religious and pi as pious as we might be, we are no better or no worse than anyone else. But the key, Jesus says to them, is that you live a life of repentance, and in another place in Scripture, he tells people to bear fruit worthy of repentance. And so that brings me to the, the parable that he uh, 
he told them in this situation. It's the parable of the fig tree in the vineyard, and the uh, owner of the land has this fig tree. And I imagine it's a lovely fig tree. Um, The climate is perfect for fig trees in the Middle East. And they grow nice and big and bushy and big, uh, big nice leaves on them. They're lovely, attractive plants of their, just in and of themselves. But people grow them not because they're pretty, but because they bear fruit. And so here comes the landowner to the gardener, and he's looking for fruit on this tree. And uh, if you are a gardener like I am, you will have had this experience, I'm sure, in which you uh, are pouring through one of those beautiful catalogs that come right about March when it's just awful out. And you're just dreaming of uh, being in your garden and having these beautiful blooms and, and whatnot. And, and you see these gorgeous pictures of these mature plants just bursting with flowers or fruit. And you think, oh, I, I have to have this plant. I have to have this in my garden. And so you order it and wait and it comes and unwrap it. And, you know, it's, it's a root or a bulb or something, and it's, there's a little sign of life on it. And so you, you eagerly plant it in the ground and wait and wait, and something comes up, and then sort of the first year, it gets about that high. You know, and it's just a little bit demoralizing because you want that satisfaction of having that beautiful flower in your garden. And so I can, uh, I can sympathize with the landowner when he comes to this fig tree, and he sees that it is doing nothing but sitting there, taking up the soil, taking up space, if you will. And so in his anger, he tells the gardener, cut it down. Why should it be here? Why should it be wasting this soil? But the gardener has another idea. He said, well, not so fast. Let's, let me tend to it. Let me fertilize it and water it and give it some special care. And we'll see next year what happens. And if it doesn't bear fruit, then fine, cut it down. These debates sort of remind me of the the work we do here in the park at the tree board. Should we cut it down? Should we not cut it down? What should we do? And so the the gardener prevails, and he he gets to tend to this tree. Now, we don't know what happened the following year. Of course, it's a parable. It's not a, a historical moment in time. But it's really not important whether or not the fig tree bore the fruit or not for us. So where can, we find, where can we see ourselves in this, uh, in this parable that Jesus gives us? We can look at it from two different angles. We could look at it from the angle of being the fig tree. Now, uh, we all are planted where we are planted, and of course, uh, humans have mobility and agency, but we have this life where we, we sort of sprout and grow and flourish, and eventually we die. But in the interim part of our lives, where we're green and flourishing, what do we do? Do, Are we just sort of a specimen plant that is pretty just for the sake of being pretty? Someone can walk by and and gain a moment of joy from looking at at us, and then they pass by and, and never think of us again? Or do we bear fruit? this fruit worthy of repentance? Do we bear fruit so that our existence uh, is an existence of giving? You see, if we're just sort of an ornamental plant, all we do is take. 
We're guilty then of the, the complaint that the landowner has with the gardener. Why should it be wasting the soil? I've got lots of other things that are growing in my vineyard that need the nutrients. Why should I waste it on this thing that just sits here looking pretty? He wants results. He wants fruit. And so in our lives, we get impatient like the landowner. And so we have to think about uh, being a little bit more gentle and patient with ourselves like the wise gardener. Who knows that, yes, if you just leave it there, probably nothing will happen, nothing good. But, but if you work at it, if you prune it, if you uh, make sure that it has the right nutrients, the right amount of water, the right amount of light, if you work at it, the fruit will come. And so as, from, the, from the perspective of this, uh, of this fig tree, we want, as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, uh, not just to be there taking up resources, but we want to use that. Of course, being living things, we need to be nourished. We need res- to consume resources in order to be alive. But what we do with that is what matters. And so we take that resource and we hope to use that, utilize that to uh, to bear fruit. So as we live and as we grow and mature, our roots go deeper and deeper into the soil. Our branches become stronger and stronger. And in that soil, which is our spiritual life, I hope that we are drawing up these nutrients of an increasing understanding of the interpretation of God's word in Holy Scripture, an increasing measure of his grace that he so freely gives to us, an increasing measure of uh, the sustenance that we receive in partaking in his sacraments. And so we draw all that up into ourselves and digest it and metabolize it and use it to flourish ourselves, yes, but also to bear this fruit for the world, this spiritual fruit. Now, you could also look at yourself as the gardener. So as a tree, just, uh, we need to be patient with ourselves and others sometimes. But as the gardener, if you are tending the tree, as I said, it's work. Being a disciple of Jesus Christ is work. It takes Sacrifice. It takes self-awareness. It takes awareness of other people around you in order to nurture that faith and nurture it into something that will bloom and grow. We were just talking this morning in our class about one of the sermons of Martin Luther King uh, entitled Love Your Enemies. And uh, we all listen to it. And whether or not you can make it to the class, you can uh, check out the link in our uh, weekly newsletter and listen to the sermons yourselves because they are very powerful. We're going to consider three of his sermons during the Lenten season. And one of the ways it was powerful is that he was telling people over and over again about the importance and the power of loving your enemy. And you could hear the weariness in his voice of of the work he has done and the way he's dedicated his life to confronting hatred and 
racism and uh, all the evils of this world. He was concerned about lots of different things, not just racial equality. But you could hear the, 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 the weariness in his voice. But he points out to his listeners, like Jesus does to these uh, Galileans, um, you're no better than anybody else. He says, you know, you need to love your, your uh, enemies. People will hate you because X, Y, Z, because your hair is too long, your hair is too short, whatever. But you need to think about yourself. You need to think about your own household. How do you hate? Maybe uh, you're in the, the, I don't know, the, the, the audience he was speaking to, perhaps you are jealous. Perhaps you uh, have uh, hatred in your heart for some wrong that was done for, to you or to a loved one that you can't forgive. You need to look at that first and clean up your own house first and then go out and love your enemy because, he says, it was a very powerful tool because they're not expecting that from you. They're expecting hate to be met with hate. And so it will confound them when hate is met with love. And so that's, you can see he's tying this sort of idea that Jesus was giving to the people in his own time to the congregation he was speaking to in the 20th century about being this, being worthy of repentance, of repenting in your own life and in your own heart, turning again so that you will be able to bear this fruit of patience, of love, of charity, of forgiveness that we all need, but that was especially needed at that time and in that place. And so those people were able to go forth from that church and peacefully face down the very work of the devil. And that is not to say that uh, we do not still have some serious issues to work on in our, our life together as a country. We can see um, just on the news uh, examples where racism and classism and culturism rears its ugly head from time to time. And so all the more we need to be aware of this urging that our Savior and Master gives us to, one, be patient with ourselves, be patient with others, but work at it. Work at your own life. And this goes, this is so appropriate for Lent. Work at your own spirit and your own life and your family's life, and then you will be able to go out and through the nourishment of the church, through the scriptures, through the sacraments, through God's grace, you will bear fruit and you will be able to go out and then nourish the world and help heal it from its sickness, from its sin, and bring it more and more into the fold of the great and good shepherd, Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.